We've been working our way through Paul's letters, personal letters, and so we just finished 1 Timothy and we're moving on to Titus. So some of the themes are, are the same. Uh, so sorry if we, we repeat ourselves. Um, we, didn't, we didn't write them. But uh, so today I'm pulling on a thread, a small thread um, that goes through Titus, trying not to uh, go into areas that we've already gone into. So let's read the first, the first chapter of Titus, Titus 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them how to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, just at the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith, that we share. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching to show those who oppose it where they are wrong. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from their truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly. Make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, because their mindset and conscience are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Wow. Some nice things to say about people in that one. eh? I I don't think Paul had sensitivity training. Just pretty sure. But... The beautiful thing Paul does, right near the beginning, after he does his, his introductions, he calls Titus something that I want to look at. He calls him his true son. And I think Paul starts that way because he's reminding Titus what the church is. It's the family of God. Now, most of us know that family is good, or it can be good. I'm lucky. My family is great. And because our families can be so good or great, it, it has become a focus for those who have good family, right? I, this was true for focus on the family, even the, the, the whole title. However, 
the scriptures point to something beyond that, beyond blood, beyond DNA, beyond last names. They point to an extended family. The church becomes the support, the close-knit group that can be relied on, not just family in the traditional sense. I've wondered if we actually focus on blood family or um, DNA family or last name family so much because it lets us off the hook. Right? It becomes a way for us to be secure from those on the outside. It becomes a way to insulate us from those who are different than us. And I know our kids and our parents are different than us, but we're used to them. So I'm not going to say ever that family is bad because loving blood family is amazing. And while it's amazing, it is also a form of self-love. My kids are an extension of me. I am an extension of my parents. Right? We all heard the statements, you're just like your dad. I, I hear that a lot, for those of you that know my dad. When Jesus was told that his family was there to see him, he responds in Matthew 12, 48 to 50, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So again, I'm not saying in any way that family is bad or that we should ignore our family. I'm just trying to make the point that if we are blessed to have incredible family, we need to open up to others, like Paul opened up to Titus. And when we become part of the church, we become part of family. It's, it's interesting for me, because the Old Testament, we hear a lot about the people of God, which sort of becomes the family of God in the New Testament. And if we think about what the people of God were like, what they were called to, the Hebrews were a chosen nation, not for themselves, but for all nations, to be a blessing to all nations. They were supposed to welcome in the strangers, the immigrants, the orphans, the widows, all of the nobodies. And not just welcome them, but give them status, include them in the benefits. For the early church, the image of baptism became this image of a new birth into a new family into a new identity. And here in Titus, Paul calls Titus his son. Anybody have a person in your faith community that you could actually make a claim like that? This is my son, my true son. This is my true sister. This is my true mother in the faith. Some groups use those things as titles, right? Brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. That's not what I'm talking about. That's just a title, and it doesn't actually represent a journey with someone, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Are we walking the road together with someone? And it may need to be that we need to look at Jesus, because often when we start to think about these things, we think about this whole group of people. And I like some of you, but I don't like all of you. So I don't, want to work, I don't want to walk along with you. And I'm just joking. I would love to walk along with all of you. But we're not going to connect with everybody. 
It's just not possible. But if we look at our example, Jesus didn't connect super well with everyone either. Right? He had hundreds of people who he had a bit of an influence on and showed love to. He had 12 who he spent a bit more time with and three that I think he could truly call true brothers in the faith. Doesn't that seem insignificant? Three? But it also feels pretty good thinking, you know, I only have to think about three people. Um, But it seems insignificant. Often, we can make these things bigger than they should be. But imagine if we all had three people that we poured significant time into, that we were poured into by. And then 12 who we had lesser relationship but still significant amount of time. And then hundreds who we showed love and care to. What would be the impact? And the impact isn't one way. Right? That's the thing. We often turn these things into projects. Like a person, this person's going to be my son and I'm going to be their dad. I don't think that's always going to work. Right? Like, let me find these three close people that I'm going to pour energy in so that they can be blessed by the amazingness that is me. But the reality is it's a mutual blessing. It's circular. That would be cyclical, right? We are blessed, we bless, we are blessed, we bless. There's a beautiful image of Jesus with his close brothers kind of showing this. It's a terrible setting, but it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 36, Jesus went with them to the garden called Gethsemane and told his disciples, Stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, This sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Who's Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. God and man. And he asks his friends to be present for him in the middle of his sorrow. I had this picture of God asking dust to sit still with him for a bit. Now we know that Jesus' friends let him down. They walked away. They fell asleep. Then they walked away later. And that should remind us that we are weak. And so we need to be gracious with each other when we let each other down. And since we see Jesus needing the presence of his close friends, how much more do we need that? We need the grace of their presence. And they need grace because we will let each other down. Family is so important. We know that supportive family greatly affects a child's ability to thrive, to grow, to develop. For those who don't have this, who haven't experienced a safe, loving space, the church needs to be that space. Family is important, and it doesn't have to be blood or DNA or last name. In some ways, I'm really concerned about the pandemic and what it's done to us as family and community. Right? There have been some great things that have come of it. Right? Like, I thank these guys for doing the stream for us. They've done so much work on streaming our show, our, our, uh, show, our service, right? So much so that people all across the country can tune in. And Tianron, probably online today in China. Amazing. 
But my worry is that some people are going to think that online church is where it's at. Not that the service is the church. Church is not the service on Sunday. It's not a liturgy of songs and prayers and some guy talking at the front. And it's not the building. It is the living, breathing family of God. And family is not built this way. It is not built facing forward. It isn't built on screens, even though we watch lots of families on screens now. It's built face to face. You know, we've been going through Paul's letters, and one of my favorite images is when Paul sends Onesimus to Philemon to be reconciled. Not in a letter, not over a Zoom call, face to face. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We shouldn't neglect meeting together. And again, I'm not talking about um, meeting here on Sunday morning. I'm talking about life on life. Just so you know, Tian Ron just commented in the comments here that, that he is online. Good to see you, Tian Ron. Paul obviously believes that the church is supposed to be family. And maybe for Paul it's easy, because we don't hear anything about Paul's family. Maybe he has no other choice. So maybe he knows how important it is for him to have sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. But all throughout his letters, he writes about this. In Galatians 6.10, he says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. In Ephesians 1.5, he says, God, in advance, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. In Ephesians 2.19, he says, So you, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. In 1 Timothy 3.14 and 15, he says, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, he says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your brothers. Treat older women, women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Interesting. Paul has a high view of the church as the family of God. So I'm going to just jump a little bit ahead to Titus 1, 5 to 9, because... Paul has obviously had this, this successful journey, right? He needs, to, he needs Titus to set up leaders throughout Crete. I'm just going to read that section to you again, uh, Titus 1, 5 to 9. I left you on the island of Crete so that you can complete our work and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. 
He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. I found this a little funny, actually. So Paul has this successful journey. You know, probably a few people in each house church. And what does he do? He starts to organize leadership. It sounds just like what we do, right? We start to have success in an area. We, we develop leaders and we build all these structures and systems. And uh, it's just funny. It's human nature. Not that it's bad. The only thing is sometimes we set them up to control the situation, to control things. But if you think back to what Paul, what I was saying about Paul and his focus on family. Huh, that sounds like focus on family. His emphasis on family we can see that Paul is really setting up fathers in the community, right? And I say fathers because this was a patriarchal society, and so fathers would have been the carrier of the name and the, the DNA and all of those things. But I think we could say parent, parents, mothers or fathers, right? He was setting up parental figures to care for the community. For us, there's, there's two problems in that, at least for me, right? I see... We read the words that Paul uses, like leaders and managers, and immediately my mind goes to a business, right? We don't, for me anyway, my mind, immediately the image is a business of a manager. And then it seems like that's true for a lot of us, because then we eventually set up churches as businesses, right? Church leaders become CEOs instead of caregivers. They become supervisors instead of loving parents. And business, as we know, is all about productivity, making money. How many people? How much cash? When I go to pastors' uh, events, often the question is, how many people do you have coming? That's it's like how, how healthy your church is by how many people are coming. How much, how much money do you guys have? The second problem is that we live in a society where many families are broken. My own family is a mixed family. Both Leanne and I were married previously. My, my oldest son is from a different marriage. We're a mixed family. So there's lots of hurt around families in our society. You know, to be sure that we all wound each other, even in healthy families, but there is a huge level of trauma in the world from broken homes. From abuse. The church is family, and when those whose experience of family is poor or harmful, time is important. Trust needs to be built. And then, do you hear the clash? The clash between the business and the family? Business is time is money. Family is time is important. Right? When I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, I worked online five years at Toyota. Productivity, time is money. Man, if, the, if you were the one that shut down the line, buzzers go off, managers start screaming, your heart starts pounding, it's awful. But we're to be family, not business. Notice the list of qualifications that, that uh, Paul gives for being an elder. 
or a parent. Let's think about it. The first one is faithful to their spouse. Interesting that the first qualification is fidelity to family. Not arrogant or quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker, not violent, not dishonest with money. All of these are characteristics that take time to see. They take time. You know, we don't think someone is faithful to their spouse because they made it through the honeymoon without cheating. No. Time is important in family. And I would suggest that it takes even longer for us today because of our schedules, because we're so disconnected, because for some of us, this is the only time we gather. I'm aware that we're connected through technology. However, I feel like we're so disconnected in person. So Paul gives this list of qualifications for leaders that are family qualities, right? I can, I can just imagine a parent that doesn't follow these guidelines, right? A man cheats on his wife, or, or even in our community, the church. Uh, I can imagine if someone didn't follow these qualifications trying to follow them, right? So just imagine a leader or a parent that cheats on his wife and tells the community to trust him. An angry, arrogant leader tries to tell people how to love your enemy. A heavy drinker tells people to act in moderation. Someone who takes a little cash out of the the, uh, plate calls people to give their finances to God. This just doesn't work in leadership situations and especially doesn't work in family. For those of you that have kids, know your kids call you out on that right away. Paul knows that there needs to be a group of people that care deeply, that, that live out the family values, that show the way to follow Jesus because there are other problems that are coming that the family will face. To face these problems, Paul knows that they need to be shown and to show love, that they need to trust and be trusted, that they need to be family. This can all sound like a guilt trip, right? People, you could think that I'm saying, people, you're not spending enough time together, so you need to get together more. And Maybe if you feel convicted of that, maybe you should, but I'm not trying to convict you. I'm simply suggesting that we really need to see each other as family. That we allow deeper relationships to develop. That we commit to each other as brothers and sisters, as uncles and mothers and fathers, sons, daughters. I've been wondering why people find it so easy to leave churches. Why do we walk away from people that God has put us in connection with? Simply because we disagree with them, which seems to be why people are leaving. I'm not talking about here. This is just in general. Families do spill it up, right? That does happen. But I can tell you from one who has been through that, it's painful. How come it's so easy for people to walk away from their faith communities then? When we're called to this, thought of family. Now, there's great reasons to leave a church. I think there are. There's great reasons for kids to leave the home. And yet, I think when we're leaving our community of faith, we need to do it in ways that honor family. 
Can we as a community see each other as siblings, as aunts and uncles, as mothers, fathers? Can we commit to being family so that we can face the next issue that comes together? Those issues are coming. They always do. We didn't think a pandemic was coming two years ago. There are issues coming. It's, it's just given. It's going to happen. My hope is that we will build trust and love as family and that we can build them prior to the next issues that come so that we face them together as family. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to family and that because of your great love, we are adopted into your family. Lord, show, show us what it means to be true sons in the gospel, true sisters and brothers. Help us to see you and each other. We ask these things in your name. Amen. And now go in the grace and the peace and the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.